electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, what a debt limit deal could actually mean for stocks. As some suggest, an agreement might not be that far away. We'll discuss with the investment committee Cyclical stocks getting a bit of a bid today. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We, uh, as Carl said, uh, we're higher. Dow Jones Industrial Average, good for better than 200 points. There's the S&P 500, one half of 1%. NASDAQ as well. So we're green across the board. And I guess my question to you, Steve Weiss, are you too negative on the market? Are you thinking um, that maybe you are? Are you reassessing it in, in any way? As this market remains resilient, who knows? We may get a debt ceiling deal, and we're hearing more indications of some big-name investors who are growing more bullish themselves. What do you think? Yeah, I don't want to, see great, I don't want to say great minds think alike because that would exclude one of us. But, yeah. Um, you? but yeah, I ask, my question, I ask myself that question every day because my bias and the market's bias is to be long. Um, but then, you know, I, I look at what's underneath all this and I say, look, you know, more than half the stocks are, are down year to date. Uh, the Fed, uh, Fed tightening has been massive, almost unprecedented in terms of the speed and the amount. And that hasn't filtered through the economy yet. Uh, the regional bank crisis and tightening lending standards is not over. Jamie Dimon made that clear after the initial euphoria was comments in the first phase. Uh, so, so you've got the Fed and then you've got the tightening from the bank situation that's going on, continue to go on. Keep in mind, people, I've heard people say, well, commercial real estate, it, it's, it's overstated. People are getting too worked up. But, but banks aren't going to write down loans until the leases are over. And so as leases rolls off, roll off, then that's going to hit book value. It's going to hit credit more. And it's hitting credit now because they've got to get in shape for when they've got to write these loans off. So the bottom line is... Um, what I question most is not whether those thoughts are correct. What I question is that over the last 15 years, have we developed a new type of investor that's used to V-shaped recovery where the old guard, you know, perhaps people like me are now sitting in Florida or in their boats in the Mediterranean, and you've got a new guard that just doesn't care about that, that looks through everything. And maybe that's rightly so, you know, because markets go up 90% of the time. So why play for the time that they're going to crash or I don't think we're going to have a crash or decline. So that's that's the debate I have. So I've been adding a little exposure. I'm not changing my view at all. I don't want to misstate that. But I'm now more open to opportunities for severely dislocated are you, stocks. Are you open to the idea that you might be wrong? 
Like yeah, you I'm were right. <laughs> you were right. Yeah. But, no, I mean, I yeah. don't mean I'm not even joking. I'm being completely serious. Yeah. No. Serious. No. I'm always you, look. You don't survive in this business for over 30 years without humility, right? If you don't have humility, you crash and burn so quickly. So I'm always open to that, and I'm always looking for how I can be wrong, why I can be wrong, and I don't just keep my own counsel. I talk to many others. Sure. But I, and I bring it up because there are, you know, reports that, you know, Steve Cohen. Yeah. Formerly SAC Capital, now point seventy two, was speaking at an event out at City Field last evening related to the SALT conference. And according to people who were there uh, and heard him yeah. make his remarks, that he said, I'm actually pretty bullish. Yeah. Um, I'm making a prognostication. He is alleged to have said we're going up. And I've so- confirmed with somebody who was in the room as well that he said that. So I work for Steve, right? And... Uh- Steve says that today, and I work, you know, for Tepper, and you know, he's one of the best, right? They're both two. Steve's absolutely one one of the best best. ever. But I'll tell you about both of them. Facts could change tonight; that could change their view tomorrow. So I wouldn't bet on that. However, he's not going in thinking that is that it's a trade. He runs way too much capital to go, you know, you know, to change his mind overnight. It's just too difficult for, the get, for them to get in and out with his multiple portfolio managers. Easier for Dave, because right. he'll express it in the futures, you know, but for, for Steve, he's got his, his group there, right? But he runs very tight risk parameters on. But the point is, yes, and same question, and I think, I'm not going to say that I'm bullish. I don't think anybody should really be wildly bullish. Frankly, I think that could be somewhat ignorant, you know, because you've got the multiple valuation where it is. So I don't think that happens. But does that mean he's going to deploy more capital into the market? You have to know what bullish means for Steve Cohn versus for a gun lock or somebody else. I mean, look, David Costin, Joe, was was on the, the prior program a little while ago, and, and he thinks the market's going to be flat. More risk, not less. Um, they're cautious in terms of where they see earnings growth and the market and valuations relative to to interest rates. But you did have the president who certainly sounded more optimistic about a debt ceiling deal. The speaker was on Squawk Box this morning, equally, uh, I think, as, you know, moved at least a little bit towards the more optimistic line. What is that going to mean for the market if, in fact, we check off that box of risk and say, OK, that's no longer a risk? May 1st, the high for the S&P was 41.86. The high for the year in the S&P, February 2nd at 41.95. If there's a resolution, which I think most of the market expects there will be, I would expect that you will challenge both of those levels. In the interim, we are in a consolidation range. We really have two different markets right now. We have a market in which you have a very strong investment thesis surrounding AI is creating alpha-generating opportunities. You're hearing institutional money is being attracted to AI. Uh, In recent weeks, I have said on this show that I purchased AMD, that trade is working out. I'll be raising my stop. I have purchased Datadog, again, that is because I believe they will be monitoring those AI applications. But generally that speaking, trade is it, today is working out. So is but, it is it is it reasonable to be more bullish today, to allow yourself to be more bullish or not? It is it is reasonable to be more bullish in a very selective way. I think that we have moved away from the environment where I could respond with an answer to your question. The environment where the response was universally yes, 
was when the cost of capital was free and you had the abundant liquidity. Those days are gone. You can't be a passive investor anymore. You just can't buy the index. I disagree with that premise. Okay. I think you have to be active in your strategy. You have to mine for opportunities, and I believe the opportunities are there in the market. Are there no opportunities, carry beyond you know AI, which gets talked about every day and everybody is seemingly bullish about? 13Fs revealed you know, the biggest money in the market. It continues to buy those stocks. Um, are cyclical stocks about to have a moment like they had last year um, when tech was down, for, for example? Um, banks are up today. Regional banks are getting some relief. Mm -hmm. Discretionary stocks are, are doing okay. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely some reason to be optimistic when you get people like Steve, whose yacht I haven't been invited on in the Mediterranean. But um, when Steve starts saying he might want to be buying stocks, and he's been bearish for a long time, uh, we've talked before about 100% of people on CNBC on any given day would be negative about the market. I mean, I, I'm going to say myself excluded because we've found places to invest over the past, you know, three years. But everyone was so bearish. And now some people are starting to be positive, And that includes the whole market. They're not just going to buy uh, Microsoft, Apple, and Google. They're going to start buying the rest of the market. And that's going to include Caterpillar and Deer and, and retailers. And it's Amazon. Um, and if we continue to see that interest rates can be you know, peaking or coming down, that's positive for multiples. If we get through the rest of this year and we start seeing some improvement in outlook, when management stop talking about you know how pessimistic they've been on the cost side, and we get some relief on wages, commodity prices, um, et cetera, that will help earnings next year, and we can look for a bump uh, to, to uh, equity prices just based on on that. So yeah, I think there's definitely reasons to be more bullish, mm -hmm. particularly because there's more demand for stocks. You tempted at all, Weiss, in, in any of the regional banks that have just gotten to the point where they're too cheap that, you know, you've thrown everything kind of out when maybe everything shouldn't have been thrown out. And I understand the risks around that yeah. space. I think everybody does. They're very well known. But are we saying that these stocks are never investable? I'm not tempted in the least on the regional banks. I think we're seeing short covering. I think you're seeing people that think they should buy them because stock prices are down, but you really don't know what the valuation is. You know, as in my earlier comment, you don't know what the ultimate write-off is going to be from commercial real estate. Now, only 40% of commercial real estate is funded, loaned by the banks, right? 60% is in the shadow market, but nonetheless, that's significant. So until you see those leases roll off and until they have to write down those loans, then I don't think you're there yet. So I don't know what book value is. These things ultimately trade in book value, financials, I don't know what they are. So I continue to rather, I'm looking for another opportunity to get in Goldman. I was at a Goldman event yesterday, and it just reinforces why I own Goldman. You can go from top to bottom, and you have the smartest, brightest people in the street. Not to the exclusion of J.P. Warren, which I'd love to buy at another point in time, mm -hmm. or B of A, but I can tell you that as a, as, as a client of theirs, I mean, 
I'd be hard pressed to find somebody who covers me as well as they do, who opens up the access to the firm, who has knowledge in every area, some of the most esoteric that could be the most helpful to me. And you can get to David Solomon on down to anybody. That's special. So that culture, that's just not today. That's a culture they had. It's a culture they'll continue to have. So that's why I like Goldman. So why would I own the regional banks when Goldman's well off its highs too? And I'm not worried about commercial real estate exposure. What about you? No, so I, I've said over and over in the last several weeks, I don't think that's a risk that you want to assume. Um, I think it's encouraging that Western Alliance is, you know, communicating that its deposit growth is now at $2 billion. That means they've added on another $200 million. Up big today. Up big today, along with PacWest. But understand, uh, uh, you know, Western Alliance still down 41% year-to-date, PacWest down over 70% year-to-date. So what do I do? Okay, I look at what I own. I say to myself, Bank of America is up 3.5% today. J.P. Morgan, which I own, is up basically a little over 2%. And Morgan Stanley's up 1.5%. So what I'm telling you, Scott, is I'm willing to give up a little bit of the upside because I believe the stocks that I own are, are more, uh, in more in the characteristics of risk that I want to assume. And I think they'll benefit from an improving regional bank scenario. If, in fact, regional banks experience more contagion, I think my downside is buffered by owning those higher quality money center banks. Last point on all of that, if I was going to step into a regional bank, I'd look at the super regionals. I think PNC and USB are the two names that you could identify as potential opportunities, but I'm not yet there thinking uh, that we're at the moment where the regional banking crisis we could put on the shelf. Can I add one more point to that, which yeah, is that they can add all the pots they want, but you know, there, there's, a, there's an acronym, CAC, C-A-C, right? That's Lodging Technology and Online, customer acquisition costs. Their customer acquisition costs have gone through the roof because they've got to compete now. People are smarter. they got to compete with what you're getting in treasuries, with what you're getting in, in other forms of credit. So when you're going from, from less than 1% in deposits to 4 and 5%, then that's expensive. So that mutes the acquisition of deposits, in my view. I'm not debating you on this point, and I'm not saying I want to take the other side of a trade. But at a certain point, don't you think that's built into the price already? No, because I, peop I think people are focusing on that. The coast is clear from a credit standpoint. The coast is clear. I was never concerned about the solvency of all these regional banks. You have two that were out there, right? One in particular, SVB, not far behind was First Republic. But the others don't, aren't making their living lending to startups mm -hmm. that may be here today and gone tomorrow. The others are making traditional ways. So, I'm not, so I don't think that's in the market now. So I mentioned discretionary uh, bouncing as well. Our chart of the day today is Target, uh, higher after earnings topped expectations. Uh, it's been an interesting uh, reaction in the market to, to the earnings report today, which you know, wasn't all you know, rosy, so to speak. Stephanie Link joins us on the phone now. She owns the shares, as you know. So how do you assess this, Steph? Um, they beat, guidance was poor, traffic was up, discretionary trends softened, they, they, uh, they are talking about. So what, what do we do with this here? Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was a mixed quarter. I think the headlines were okay, but underneath the surface, uh, there were, they made progress in, in a couple areas that I was hoping they would make progress in. So beat on earnings, comps were flat. That was about in line. But inventories fell 16%. A year ago, Scott, inventories grew 43%. 
So they're definitely making progress on inventories, and that's going to have margin implications, and it did in this quarter. And, oh, by the way, they had a decline of 25% in inventories in the discretionary component, which is 55% of their total revenue. Operating margin was another area where they beat 5.2%. Expectations were for 46 And remember, last quarter, they did 37 They are still a mile away from where they need to be at 7 or 8%, but they're making progress. And then lastly, gross margins up 100 basis points year over year. Clearly, freight costs coming down is helping them. And I think that's going to be the theme throughout retail about freight coming down. That's going to help the overall uh, gross margin line. What do you do with this discretionary trend softening fact that I, I believe it was the CFO who Sarah Eisen talked to a little earlier, and she reported this on the air in the last couple of hours uh, as it relates to apparel, to home and to hard lines as well. I hear you on the positives that you cited, but what about that as one of the reasons why their guidance may be a little bit poor? I think that everyone is going to be a little bit more cautious on guidance. And uh, both TJX and, and Target today talked about March slowed because of the macro and, and the bank environment. April slowed again, and May is off to a slower start. So I think they're being conservative for sure. Uh, it's not a surprise, again, given the bank situation and all the un- unknowns with the Fed. And we're also seeing the shift from goods to services. That being said, I mean, I think that a lot of the bad news is in uh, these stocks with regards to discretion, the inventories are coming down dramatically. And oh, by the way, the consumables piece, the grocery piece, is doing just fine. I mean, beauty grew double digits for the last three years. Food and beverages, household products, those all did really well. And discretionary is not doing well, but eventually that's going to turn. And I, and I think they're going to actually get pricing power as a result. So I'm not in this gloom and doom camp of consumer. You know that because the job market is still tight. And wages are still high on a relative basis. Yeah. And inflation has peaked. So I'm still in the camp the consumer's going to hang in there. And, these, and, and, and a company like Target offers a, a value proposition over the long term. Yeah, stock up 2%. Steph, thank you. It's Stephanie Link, Target shareholder uh, on the phone. Weiss, you used to own Target, yeah. uh, I don't know, 18 months ago, yep. something like that. It feels like maybe less than that. What, what's your take on, on this stock and the group itself? Well, first of all, as far as Stephanie goes, I think she bought it about 128 So just a brilliant move. Um, the quarter's not good, and that helps inform my bearish view in the market. So where I disagree with Stephanie is the consumer's not in great shape. That came out clear in Home Depot, came out clear in Target. I said last week, Target, I'd be surprised if Brian Cornell didn't get the inventory in control, and that's really what drove the quarter. What's, what's the message, though, if, in the stock move? The stock right. move is a relief rally. The stock, the message in the stock move is what we've seen in every other move. That as long as you don't, uh, you know, as long as you don't disappoint the investor and you give them a little something to hang on to, they'll find that positive data point and gravitate towards that rather than the larger story. So what I heard from that, from their release, was that the consumer is slowing, the consumer is trading down, the consumer is not going to discretionary items, which, by the way, have the biggest margins. It's not food that has margins. Sure. So, so that to me is troubling for the consumer and for the market overall, being an economy that's 60 to 70 percent consumer-led. So, Carrie, what about you? Uh, you have a fair amount of consumer exposure. Amazon, you got some travel stuff, you got Depot, right? Which I'd love to sort of hear yeah. what, your, yeah. what your take on that is today. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, Stephanie and I, 
come to this group in a slightly different way, but we're both agreeing that, that there's money to be spent. I mean, the consumer is spending money on travel. We know a lot of money on travel, and we own booking. Uh, yeah, American Express is somewhat of a, a buy based on, on travel. But CarMax, that's discretionary. Amazon, definitely discretionary. And the numbers are just, I would say, a little bit difficult to read. The consumer is spending. You can't really tell uh, month to month. They seem to change where they're spending. There's some weakness. We've heard that for months and months. But maybe things are starting to get a little better. We're, we're still in a 3.45% unemployment rate. And service people are definitely making more money. There's a lot of demand. So, you know, I think that the, the, uh, the trade on, on Target is a reasonably good one right now. We, we don't happen to own it. But we do on these other consumer names, discretionary stocks. And I think it, it makes sense that they start to move here because if we solve the debt ceiling and inflation is coming down um, on Home Depot, by the way, um, they're three percent. They talked about a three percent revenue decline versus expectations. And I'm not defending it as being a great quarter. Of course, it, it, it wasn't a great quarter, but the price of lumber plummeted. And that makes up about 300 basis points on the top line. So, you know, that explains some of that to, 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 um, to address what Steve was mentioning. And if you look at what happened in 2020, 2021, you know, that that was such a bonanza for all of these um, housing sure. type and, and yeah. home renovation stocks. So I, we're fine with, with Home Depot here. We think you know, that it's still a, a premium company and should sell like one. Okay. I'm yeah. fine with it, too. I mean, I'd like to buy it. I, you you know, if I, frankly, if I weren't so busy, I would have bought it post-earnings. Now maybe I'll wait a little bit. But to me, Home Depot is a perennial compounder. So why wouldn't you want to own it? I mean, it's all helping uh, the story today. As we said, we're, we're green across the board. Um, Savita Subramanian over at Bank of America says the market may not be ready quite yet to break out. Their, their bull market signposts, as they call them, suggest that. Uh, 50% are triggered versus 80 to 90% ahead of prior market bottoms on the S&P. I told you what David Costin had to say, more cautious, uh, certainly than bullish. And then there's the idea that some are holding on to that the Fed is going to cut rates at some point this year, and that is going to be a, a bull signal in and of itself, to which Elon Musk told David Faber as part of their exclusive interview, among all the other things that they did discuss, that he's not counting on cuts anytime soon either. Let's listen. Raising the Fed, Fed rate as, as somewhat of a brake pedal in the economy, frankly. It's, uh, it's, um, it, it, it makes a lot of things more expensive. Uh, certainly things that are bought with credit, but then it has downstream effects on, on even things that aren't bought with credit. So, um, you know, if, if the car payment or your home mortgage payment is absorbing more of your monthly budget, then you have less to, money to buy other things. So actually, it affects everything, even those that aren't things that aren't bought on, right. on credit. So, um, and, and my concern with the with the, the way the, the Federal Reserve is making decisions is that they they're just operating with um, too much latency. Basically, the, the data is, is is somewhat stale. So they, so the Federal Reserve was was slow to raise interest rates, um, and, and and now I think they are, are slow to they're, they're going to be slow to lower them. Sort of throwing cold water on this notion that the, the Fed's going to cut rates as the market continues to believe is, is going to happen. I, I perfectly agree with him. I, I don't think 
the Federal Reserve is going to be cutting rates unless there's an exogenous event. I don't believe you want the Federal Reserve to be cutting rates. I think that's going to be punitive for earnings as we move into the second half of the year. I think that's rather clear. I think the best you could hope for is that the Federal Reserve is going to be pausing. You know, talk about a breakout in the market. What does a breakout look at? Let's first get to the top of the range at 4,200, which I think we could do if the debt ceiling gets resolved. But Scott, to me, breaking out means you get above 4,200 and you're off to 4,400 or 4,500 rather quickly. I'm not sure that this is the, the environment that we could do that. You want them to cut. They're going to cut rates at some point. It's just a matter of when. Obviously, they're not yeah. going to keep rates. At, what are you shaking your head no for? I'm shaking my head no because I don't want them to cut rates. You're telling you me you want rates to be 5%? I think rates need to remain elevated until we see inflation come down further and inflation stay below 3%. I think that's going to take a lot longer than people anticipate. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I don't think you were saying they're going to cut this year. You were saying eventually. No, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that I yeah, agree yeah, with. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, that yeah. I agree with. Yeah. Um, they will cut eventually. It's not going to be this year. Think about why, would the, why would the Fed depends. cut this year? Okay. Something Even, bad happens. Right. Exactly. So you don't want the Fed to cut this year, to your point. So they want to see inflation. They'll let it run hot. They'll let it run to 2.5%, maybe 3%. They will pause. That'll be you know, another excuse for the market to rally, and maybe that'll be it. I understand, but something bad happened in, in 08. Right. And what happened? The Fed cut They went rates. to free money, started free money. And what happened after that? Well, what happened after the market was down, the SP was down 30 Well, I know, but that was a, because it was right. a much more serious degree of a, of a downturn. Right. Than, than you're witnessing now, but the... You'd have to see a similar downturn to answer your question the, for the Fed to cut. But the end case is, is always the same, is it not? That when the Fed starts to cut rates, that's bullish for stocks. It's bullish stock. Keep in mind, you know, some people delude themselves and think that that Jerome Powell is looking at, you know, he's got his app where he's looking at what the market's doing every day. If the market drops a thousand points, say, okay, let's have an emergency meeting and we're going to cut rates. They really don't care what the market does to a very certain extent. They care what the credit markets do more so than the equity markets. But the equity markets would have to be in a real, real tailspin, which be would be occasioned by a tailspinning economy. them to cut rates. Sure, but that if the credit happen. markets freeze up, in, in some respects, cutting rates right. helps the thaw, well, which that, helps that, the that, stock market. There's a cause and effect on right, all that, of it. That's what I said. I said they care more about the credit market. So if credit is getting super, super tight, as it did in 08, then that's a different story. Right now, that's not happening. Right now, it's abetting what their policy is rather than dictating policy. And let's be clear, forward. I'm not suggesting that this is or will be in any way <laughs> like right. that. It's simply the mechanism of cutting right. rates, being bullish for stocks, period, end of story. Right. That for whatever reason they do it, right. that becomes irrelevant at some point, and it's the mere fact that they've done it. Right. Here's the real question, okay? The real question is how much has that forward curve that's predicting the Fed will cut rates this year been supportive of the market? Right. And what would happen if the market, if if those people that are doing that, that are playing into that, realize that the Fed's not going to cut? Would that cause the market to decline? So one data point. But that that's that's what I think about. Also, as you can tell, I've been flying a lot. So I've had a lot of time to think because I don't sleep on planes. So, you know, OK, I'm tired of thinking. It's good to not. All right. Um, I want to be like you. 
All right. Maybe the altitude's gotten to you a little bit. Yeah, probably. All right. <laughs> Up next, we're going to talk. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk a little tech. Uh, we also have some moves. Weiss said he had bought a few names. We're going to tell you exactly uh, what those are because they're interesting stocks to talk about. Uh, we'll do that next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Okay, I mentioned Steve Weiss has made a few moves. He, he alluded to it earlier. So you, you bought Freeport on Monday. Tell me about that one first. So, uh, so I, I thought it was oversold. So the quarter came out, stock traded down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you see it all the time. You're hearing about it all the time. Musk talked about it. You don't have enough copper. You don't have enough lithium or nickel for batteries. So where are the companies going to get it? So I don't know why copper's where it is, except for the fact that all commodities are driven by speculators, more so than supply demand. Well, obviously, if you're worried about the right. economy and China, yep. by the way, the data there has not been great. Right. That's no. why. Right. Exactly. So China, that's one of the primary reasons it's traded down because of China. And one of the primary reasons why it traded up because everybody thought, oh, they're opening the doors there again at post-COVID. It's going to be an explosion in the economy. We haven't seen that. But I think it's down to a level where there's been such negativity. Mm-hmm. that my risk-reward is fairly attractive as I look out over the next six months to a year. Can I be wrong on it? Oh, absolutely, because I'm bearish on the economy. But I think some of that's baked in. So that's why I went so Freeport. So you own Freeport, right? I did own Freeport. Oh, you sold, and it. sold it. And sold it. And it came out of Joe T as well. Uh, fundamentally, I agree with everything that you said. It clearly has lost momentum. It's lost momentum on the expectation right. of a slowing economy domestically and globally. EV demand also contracting. That's been significant. And just generally, overall commodities right now, you're seeing less of an appetite for the asset class. So the fundamentals, they're still in yeah. place. Could the stock drop into the lower? 30s. I could see that easily based on momentum alone, um, but I don't disagree with fundamentals. And, and you make stock. an important point. One of the things I did consider is that, and Musk talked about, higher rates, buying fewer cars because the cost to lease yeah. or to borrow. However, you're seeing the, the turnover brands, right, from ICE, internal combustion engines, to EVs. So they'll continue to build more, continue to need more copper, despite auto sales slowing. 
You should go on planes more often. USO. You're handing out compliments left and right. I'm on the fire today, Joe. You got to admit. The USO. Also, you bought the USO yeah. oil fund. So, so Joe gave me a side-eyed look, and appropriately so, last Monday when I said I'm buying the USO because it's a flawed ETF because of the contracts and everything. However, it's one of the ways to express a view in oil. The way I looked at it last week was, again, that was beaten up. From a standpoint of, of Saudi Arabia and the need to meet their social programs, they can't tolerate oil pricing down here, number one. Number two, I thought as soon as the, uh, you know, the budget talks raging, raising the ceiling on spending, uh, that the government would then have to come in and be foolish not to come in and replenish the reserves. So those two things did it. Again, speculative market, really speculative, driven by speculation. So they made good money, and those same shorts are going to run from cover if my view is right. To your point on China with copper, you still have that China issue with with uh, oil here. Mm-hmm. But talking to some freight people, those freighters run full all the time regardless of price. So the demand's still there. It's a question of the price and where it sits. So that's why I thought, again, on a risk-reward basis, I won't there be there for a long time. I think you get oil to 75 to 80, and that's where it stays. You bought more of GXO. They had a great quarter. They had a great quarter, so it's a position, as I'd mentioned, you know, months ago, I, I cut back. But look, they, I wouldn't say they're countercyclical. They've got protection from the cyclicality of recession because essentially take a pay contract. So just a phenomenal story that the market continues to misunderstand their model. Okay. Uh, let's get to Pippa Stevens, who has the headlines for us. And I just want to note, too, that the Dow is approaching 250 points to the upside. Pippa, what's, uh, what else is going on? Yeah, hey, Scott. Well, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A federal appeals court in Louisiana will hear arguments on the future availability of abortion pill Mifepristone today. This comes after the Supreme Court decided last month that the pill will remain on the market while the legal battle continues. The panel's ruling could come at any time after the arguments. The losing side is likely to ask the high court to hear an appeal of the decision. A spokesperson for Prince Harry and Meghan said the couple was involved in a, quote, near catastrophic car chase with paparazzi in New York yesterday. The pair were followed by photographers after attending an awards ceremony and had an NYPD escort. They were able to switch cars at a local police precinct to lose the paparazzi. And the Turkish president says a deal to allow for the safe passage of grain through the Black Sea has been extended for two months. The agreement, originally brokered in July to reopen key Ukrainian ports amid the war in Ukraine, was set to expire tomorrow. Moscow previously threatened to leave the deal because the country claims it only benefits Kyiv. Scott, back to you. Pippa, thank you. That's Pippa Stevens. Coming up, two bullish calls on two big software stocks. We'll find out how the committee is positioning there. We'll do that next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, you see on our wall uh, back at our headquarters there, got a little ramp going on uh, at this moment in the market. Dow is now up 
283. S&P 500 trying to get back to 4140, and it's on the doorstep of that. That's three quarters of 1% near that at this very moment. Technology, which was a little bit of a laggard earlier today, picking up some steam too. Two-thirds of a percent, that's good for 80 points. And there's the Russell 2000 small caps on a day where, you know, industrials and some of these cyclical stocks are doing better. The Russell 2000, led by obviously small caps, is up more than one and a half percent. So we're going to keep our eyes there as the market gets a little bit of a pickup in the last, let's say, five, ten minutes or so. Let's do our calls of the day. Uh, Bank of America, number one, bullish on Salesforce. Price target 250 from 235. Pretty big position for you, Care. Yeah, and I think it's a good call. I, it, um, you know, we, we've seen this shift in sentiment about CRM, both from the analyst community and also from investors, because once they announced that they were going to start doing some headcount reduction and reduce GNA, uh, people began to take seriously that uh, Mark Benioff understood this was not an expansion mode forever. I mean, it's, it was 20 years where all he did was add people and add capacity because they built out this whole CRM business, it, which is incredible, but slowdowns come. And they've been in a recession to some extent for two years. We're starting to see or believe that we're going to see a pickup in demand. So not just costs are coming down, but revenues will start to pick up. And that multiple has come down from about 46 Cut in half, it's 23 times a uh, year forward. So we like the call. We think that the stock has definitely more room to go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit richer than you, you said. It's about 29 times forward. So, you know, it, yeah, but it that's, is. That's because the year, it, it's a January year, you know. So, yes, I, and I understand that. But it's, I was looking at their fiscal year number. No, I understand. I, I guess my only point is that it still is a significant premium to, to the market, even right. though it's come, come down a lot. Yeah, but it's going to start growing again. I mean, we think it deserves that level of premium. It's not anything like what it was in the past. And, uh, you know, we think they're doing the right thing. They're activists and they're really, you know, pushing the management to do some of the, the things that, you know, they were a little slow to take into effect. Yeah, it's had a big year to date. Huge 50, year. 52-week you know, high. 50%. Oh, yeah, it's been a great stock. Joe, you own yeah. it in the, in uh, well, the tea. Yeah, well, and, and it's all based upon momentum. Uh, fundamentally, there were, had been some challenges for this company in the last several quarters. They're beginning to resolve those fundamental challenges, but price, once again, has returned. The confidence is reflected in the way that uh, the, the activity for this stock is, is trading on a daily basis. And I think you're seeing a return similar to what you saw in a lot of mega caps. Remember, the low for the stock was in December. It was it was punished with tax loss harvesting as well as Microsoft and Apple and a lot of those other names. So the same type of dynamic is occurring here where you're seeing a lot of large cap mutual funds return to ownership. You want to take CrowdStrike too, which by the way got a positive call at Goldman Sachs today, a, a buy there. Stock's up, you know, two and two and two thirds percent right now, you know, a few bucks. And by the way, I mean, I mentioned what the market was doing overall. Now the Dow's up 330 points. So I feel like we move like 100 points in 10 to 15 minutes. I don't know if it's optimism around a debt ceiling deal or what have you, but, you know, cyclical stocks have been under fire lately and they've underperformed as we talked about AI ad nauseum. And for obvious reasons, those stocks have have led the way, and it's been such an outsized gain for the 10, let's say, largest stocks in the market. But 
we got a pretty nice move here. You have a broadening out of the performance. You have dispersion, which has been missing from the market, certainly year to date. What I said this on Monday, there was no breath in the market. Well, you're finally beginning to see a little bit of that breath. It's obviously on optimism surrounding the debt ceiling. I said earlier in the show, it could take you back up to the February and early May highs, and then you'll see where you go from there. Um, if I could just real quick on CrowdStrike, that is the cybersecurity trade, Scott. Because of their ability to capture so much market share, I believe, I believe they'll be able to do it. I think Goldman Sachs is 100% correct. And by the way, I will add to this position as it moves higher. Uh, I know some people struggle with understanding that concept, but confidence begets more confidence in price. Okay. Up next, Mike Santoli is with us for his midday word. We'll do it after this quick break. Pretty good midday move here uh, for the stock market. There's the Dow up now about 325. And the S&P 500 is uh, back above now uh, 4140. 4144 is the look here, about 35 points. Mike Santoli's here, our senior mar- uh, markets commentator for his midday word. Cyclicals. Oh, there they are. Yeah. Uh, and you know, m- Monday was a modest version of this, too. So uh, it's been the theme to debate, you know, is the market broken because everything but the, the large growth stocks have uh, have not really worked? Or is it just kind of rotation that allows for some mean reversion help? You have the, uh, the, the regional banks that are bouncing hard, probably not on anything but, you know, kind of they're washed out and squeezy. And when the, when the banks are down 35, 40 percent over three months, historically, it, it just like close your eyes and, and buy them and assume the world doesn't end yeah. is, is part of the trade. But uh, no, I think it's mostly re-rotation. But again, it's within this range. Uh, this is the 10th day in a row. The S&P's crossed 4130. 10th day in 10th session in a row. Wow. Uh, now we're above it at this point. I do think that still people are getting concerned that uh, outside the market cap weighted S&P, things look a little dicier, right? You're below the 50 and 200 day on the equal weighted S&P. And so I think it's just built up this wall of worry in a very tightly coiled market. And, and so you get a, a little spurt like today. And I guess there was a report out there. Steve Cohen's also bullish on the market. That's what I mentioned uh, at the yeah. top of the show. Um, I mean, look, it, it just adds to you know, perspective on how some people are thinking yeah. about the market. And in some cases, they are fairly influential, you know, market voices. And, and I think bigger picture, it's that things are not worsening fast enough to have the bear case seem like an easy bet. And so that doesn't mean things are getting better. It doesn't mean that we've averted the consumer fatigue and the potential that we're going to get a broader slowdown or it's going to roll through other parts of the economy. But it just isn't kind of happening in a way that makes it seem like it's got this downside momentum uh, that you're going to be able to play. You know, we've become so, I think, conditioned to the idea that, you know, large money managers who either come on the the network in these types of days or ones that we hear about, like Steve Cohen, um, are predisposed to be kind of negative, right? They've been pretty negative. PTJ, Paul Tudor Jones this week on CNBC. Yeah. Equities are going up. And, you know, Steve Cohen suggesting that he's reasonably bullish too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, look, nobody's, whatever nobody's, exactly, nobody's making uh, some kind of high conviction, I'm going all in type of call. But it is worth a reminder that the S&P was 700 points higher 15 months ago when earnings were lower. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that seems like uh, the most simplistic way of looking at it. And I don't think we get right back there at all. And I'm not saying that risk is, is out of this market whatsoever. But uh, I think that the, the range has lulled everybody into thinking that a 50-point move in the S&P is somehow insurmountable unless we have major macro changes. Sometimes the noise just means you're up a little bit. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. 
I'll see you in a bit. Uh, Mike Santoli will be back, of course, during uh, Closing Bell. We're back on the half after this. Welcome back. We're going to take a look ahead to Cisco reporting earnings tonight in OT. The Joe T owns it. What are you watching for? Stock's been flat this year. Stock's been flat. I think you want, though, the continued consistency that management understands the diversified product mix. And I think that's been the change in this company in the last several years. This company has now expanded upon uh, its customer base and offering more products. I think they've delivered on that. I think this company has restored itself back in the conversation for a large cap technology name that you include in your portfolio. And I think the last couple of years, that's something you couldn't say about Cisco. You know, I want to hear uh, Chuck Robbins, too, talk about China uh, because he's he's at a really great eye mm-hmm. as into what's really been happening there, Weiss. Yeah. And as we talked, it's just been a sort of sputtered start yeah. for the reemergence and, and, you know, rego of the economy there. Yeah, I, I want to hear what he has to say about it also. But I don't really look at Cisco as a technology company. I look at them as an industrial company because of all their application. That's really more what it trades on. That's what it trades on on a valuation standpoint. And as an industrial company, following your thought, they're more dependent upon growth in China like a lot of other industrials. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. And I'd also like, if we're interviewing on CNBC as we always do, I want to put the Elon Musk comments on China to him and see what his view is. Elon Musk has to build this entire infrastructure in China and what will happen if, as he intimated, China does go after Taiwan. Chuck usually comes on after earnings. I'm assuming yeah. he is. I, I don't have any, any, any knowledge enjoyable of, list to of, of where, else. but I'm sure he, yeah. he will, as he, as he always does. Applied materials. That's tomorrow. You want to take a stab at that one, too? Because you got it in the Joe T as well. Again, it's one of those semiconductors that were first in, and it's been first out. It's a semiconductor. I, I, I keep emphasizing the diversification in your product mix, and I think that's what is so important. You know, Cisco Cisco's not a hyper-growth stock. It's not a growth stock like you're getting with some of the other technology yeah. games, but it could be buffered by the diversification. And applied materials, that's the same type of example of a semiconductor that's done well in offering the broad product mix. So obviously, I'm optimistic about it. It's been a, a very good performer in the portfolio. Okay. We will take a quick break, and we'll do finals next. Nice move here for stocks. Dow approaching a 400-point gain. The S&P 500 also up better than 1% now. And NASDAQ uh, joins that club, too, uh, that same degree. We'll be right back. Final Trades. Well, closing bell, 3 o'clock. We are going to see where the market is at 3 o'clock and uh, go right into the close with you and see if we can keep up this momentum that we have uh, seemed to build in the last 30 minutes or so as the Dow's up nearly 400. We do have Cameron Dawson with us. Bryn Talkington's going to talk some Tesla with us, too, following that Elon Musk interview with David Faber. Uh, so we'll get through all of that. I hope you join me then. Let's do some final trades. Kerry Firestone, what do you got? Well, I'm going to give you Alphabet slash Google, not because of AI, which, of course, it has plenty of, 
But because we think that the digital advertising business is going to start to pick up, it's really been in the doldrums. It's really affected revenue and profit over the last couple of years. And there are more people buying uh, the stock lately. I mean, we heard about Bob Post. It's their largest position or, or, or one of them. I uh, heard Bill Ackman was buying the stock. And uh, it's, it's a name that, that we like a lot. Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss. USO, staying momentum. Momentum in commodities keeps going till it doesn't. All right. Joey T. Monday, May 8th, we gave AMD as a final trade on long the stock. Raise your stop. You're up 8% on it right now. You shouldn't lose money on this. Don't turn a winner into a loser. All right. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that... That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.